baby carrots. They're on every Super Bowl snack platter. They're in millions of school lunches. They're the carrot in cooked carrots. They're 70% of all the carrots we buy because we don't have to wash them, cut them, or peel them. But here's the little secret about baby carrots. Well, they're not actually baby carrots. Um, they're harvested as a full-size carrot taken into the facility where they're cut into two-inch pieces and peeled and put in the bag. I'm David Pogue, and this is Unsung Science. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. Season 2, Episode 1, The Secret of Baby Carrots. Season 2 of this podcast technically begins in January, Today's episode is a little teaser, a sneak peek, and it's a deeper dive into the three-minute baby carrot story that I reported on CBS Sunday morning. And it's such a great story. If you ask a little kid to draw a carrot, they'll grab the orange crayon and draw the classic shape, long, skinny, pointy at the end. Which is super weird, because odds are fairly good they've never eaten anything like that in their lives. The carrots they have encountered are almost certainly baby carrots. Two inches long, rounded at both ends, already peeled and washed, delicious and ready to eat. 70% of all the carrots we buy are in fact baby carrots. But as promised by the title of this episode, those little carrots harbor a big secret. So let's get that out of the way right up front. The secret of baby carrots is this. Well, they're not actually baby carrots. They are pieces of carrots. They are indeed grown specifically to cut into two-inch pieces. That's Jeff Huckabee, the president and CEO of Grimway Farms, which claims to be the biggest carrot grower on the planet. And how big is big? Grimway Farms grows about 45,000 acres of carrots across the country. It equates to about 10 million pounds of carrots every day, six days a week, 52 weeks out of the year. It's a lot of carrots. <laughs> 10 and million pounds a day? People really like carrots. We were sitting right next to one of his carrot farms in Bakersfield, California. Beautiful, bright green crops in tidy rows stretched as far as the eye could see. 
they were about two weeks from being ready to harvest. And there's a reason this farm is in Bakersfield, California. It's a hot, dry place. Carrots are grown mostly in very arid regions like Bakersfield. We do this for a reason. You want to be able to time the irrigation so that you can stretch the root as long as possible and have it search for water. So when you get in these climates where you have a lot of rainfall, you get a little short, stubby carrot because it feeds from the the surface. So Uh we try to dry these carrots down as much as possible. We have a garden in Connecticut. I tried so hard to grow carrots. Just never succeeded. No one can in their garden. It's what? Speak, no one can. What? It's because the soil has to be so, you know, loose down to two to three feet. And you're not going to sit there and rip your dirt into where it's very pliable for two to three feet down. They don't and that's tell why you that. yeah, that's why people can't be very successful in their garden. <laughs> so. Anyway, Grimway has designed and built its own carrot harvesting machine. It's a sight to behold. So you can't just go buy a carrot harvester off the the shelf over at your local tractor dealer. So we build them, they come through, and it takes three people basically. You have the driver, you have a guy on the back making sure the carrots are handled properly, and then we can do about 25 tons of carrots about every 15 or 20 minutes. 25 tons every 15 minutes? Are you tracking this? That is so many carrots. Anyway. The harvester dumps them all into a truck rolling alongside it. And then the truck is shuttled from here about a mile away to our facility. And then at that point, they're washed out. They go through a washout process that uh, you get a big boom of water. It washes, puts uh, recycled water on it that we're reusing over and over again. And then we'll change out every day or so. Well, here's, here's where I revolutionized the carrot industry a second time. Since they're going to be peeled for us, why do you need to wash them first? They come out dirty. So (laughs) um, you're dealing with a root that comes and that's grown in the dirt. You will see when you're harvesting, you bring a lot of dirt in with it. And so the carrot has to be really cleaned and scrubbed before you can actually peel it and cut it and put it in a bag and, and, and consider it ready to eat. Okay, so how does it get cut? It's, it's not you with a knife, I take it. It's not. There wasn't a carrot cutter out there available that we could go buy off the shelf and do it. So we kind of took some other technologies and then adapted it, and we've come out with a, a model that we really like. We build it ourselves and, and adjust it to get the 2-inch uh, carrot out of the long, you know, 10, 12, 14-inch carrot. The machine they adapted was originally designed for cutting beans. There were a number of things taken from other industries that said, you know, just with some minor modifications, we can make that work on the, uh, for the carrots. The bean cutter has been by far the best cutter that we have found. We just had to lengthen the throat a little bit, the carrot's a lot longer, and it just it drops down, it just takes a two-inch piece out. At this point in the interview, I grabbed a juicy orange baby carrot out of the bag and held it up in the sun. And then, once they've been cut, this has somehow been rounded and peeled. That's correct. So when, after the, the product is cut, it still has the outer layer and the skin on it. And so it goes through a series of a peeler and then a polisher. And it's basically similar to sandpaper, grit, 
rolls that it goes through and as it goes through and tumbles it has a tendency to r round off the little end a little bit and then remove the skin and then you have a fine polish that really makes it have a nice smooth finish and gets the, the final touches of the, the skin off and then we go through and then put it into the bags. Okay, the first secret is out. Baby carrots aren't baby at all. But here's a second secret. Baby carrots were invented to hide nature's ugliness from our picky, picky eyes. And they were invented by this man. My name is David Urosik. My father and I owned a company called Mike Urosik & Son, and we were the originators of, of the Bunny Love baby whole carrots. Mrs. Urosik, David's mom, came up with the name Bunny Love for the family's carrots. That's Bunny L-U-V, love. There was, was there any discussion about that's too sappy, too cutesy? Oh yeah, my dad thought it was horrible. Yeah, you know, he thought that's, much a, that's a woman's thing. And I, said, and I convinced my father it was a good thing to do because the women bought carrots. And so I said, okay, okay, okay. Probably I, right. In those days, yes, women did more of the shopping than the men. Yeah. Mrs. Urosik was also a talented artist, so she also came up with the brand's logo, which looks for all the world like Bugs Bunny in an apron. Warner Brothers was not pleased. Warner Brothers sued us. Yeah, it looks like, too much like Bugs Bunny. My father gave it to my mother and said, figure something out. She drew a sheaf of variations on that cartoon bunny, and the Urosiks sent them off to Warner Brothers lawyers with an invitation to choose a logo that they would find acceptable. They did, and that's the version you still see on the bags today. So it looks kind of like Miss Bugs Bunny. Yeah, we thought so, but yeah, <laughs> Warner Brothers accepted it, so that's all we carried. Anyway, the logo lawsuit wasn't the Jurassic's biggest headache. The waste was. It was a distressing fact of modern carrot farming. You had to throw away a huge fraction of your crop. 35 to 45 percent of our carrots were rejected because of cosmetic situations. We couldn't even feed them to our cattle because wow. the fat would turn orange. And so that didn't work. So we had really no viable alternative to, to utilize that product. And why would you go to the trouble of raising delicious, nutritious carrots and then throw 400 tons of them away every single day? Well, carrots are basically like any fruit or vegetable or cosmetic. If it doesn't look good, they're not going to buy it. But the nutrition and everything else is, is still there. What are we talking about? A little discoloration or bent or? Bent, broken. Carrots get broken when they, they come in, so nobody, a consumer doesn't want to buy a broken carrot that's cut in half, that's broken in half. They're bent. And then we, we got involved with developing hybrid carrots. They're very beautiful carrots, sweet, but they also are very susceptible to different types of diseases. We started having something called cavity spotting, whether a carrot is like, you know, has little root hairs that come out, eyelets, so to speak. And they would, that cavity spotting would affect that. There's also had disease called a black crown, which the whole top of the carrot would kind of turn black. So those are some of the two biggest problems we were having in the sense of cosmetics. Mm. And so consequently, you know, that's what kind of drove me is to say, okay, how do we do something with that product and make it sellable to the consumer? And by the way, why are so many carrots misshapen? Here's Jeff Huckabee again. If you went out and dug in this field just due to defects with uh, the carrot hits a rock and is crooked or it splits or you've got some damage, um, you know, due to nematodes or something, no one wants a carrot that's crooked or split or something, still eats well, but 
the consumer wants a nice straight orange uh, smooth carrot. We're the consumers, we're the ones who say, I'm not gonna eat that carrot, it's bent. Do you, as an industry person, as a grower, do you think that that's an absurd position? Well, I do, I mean, because there's nothing wrong with the carrot other than appearance. The consumer is kind of trained to have that picturesque carrot that is tapered nicely, that's smooth, that uh, is nice and straight. They all eat equally as well. <laughs> we get a lot of people that when the baby carrot gets in the bag, it will have a split to it. And those are the carrots I eat because the split is usually because it's got more sugar in it than the others. Anyway, baby carrots were a brilliant solution. Once a carrot's been cut and peeled and polished before you even see it, you have no idea how bent or crooked or spotted the original carrot was. Everybody wins. You're spared all the effort of washing, cutting, and peeling, and the farmers can use the 40% of the crop they would have thrown away. Now, if you Google hard enough, you can find write-ups of that origin story about how the baby carrot was developed to let farmers sell their ugly carrots. But there's a second origin story that's never been told. The moment that pushed David Urosik over the brink that finally sent him to the baby carrot drawing board. It's the ex-wife story, an unsung science exclusive. And after the break, you'll hear it. This podcast is supported by FedEx. FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet, pillowy dough. And get this, all of My Mochi's fabulous flavors like strawberry, mango, double chocolate, and cookies and cream are only around 80 calories per piece. Talk about a guilt-free, indulgent experience. Each box of My Mochi ice cream has six perfectly portioned, gluten-free mochis that are great for grab-and-go. So feel good while curbing your afternoon cravings or the midnight munchies. Yeah, you know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. Now, most people telling the origin story of baby carrots mention the economic incentive that Mike Urosik and his son David had. They wanted to find a way to sell the nearly 40% of their crop that had cosmetic glitches that we the people were too picky to eat. But the baby carrot idea also solved a second problem, an interpersonal one. Here's David Urosik again. My ex-wife, Terry, made this meal that was carrots and was cut up carrots. She told me, why can't you do something like this so I don't spend three hours, you know, in, in the kitchen making it? So so she was taking three hours doing what? Cutting them? Cutting them and peeling them. 
Of course, she could have used pre-cut frozen carrots, which were a big deal at that time in 1985, but Terry would have none of it. Had to be fresh. She told me these guys have to be fresh. Frozen carrots and canned carrots lose about 35 to 40 percent of the nutritional value. And so that's when I said, okay, we'll see what we can do. And I went the next day and thought about it and brought a couple of my guys in and said, we need to figure out how to do this. I got to hand it to Dave Urosik. To prepare for our interview, he'd spent a few days calling up former colleagues and employees to piece together the details. We had some great people. A couple of them have passed away, Sid Brown and, and Kent Williams. Kent Williams came up with the idea of having what we called a focus group. And I said, what is a focus group? And he looked at me, so you don't know what it is? The Eurasics okayed the focus group. This was a big moment. They'd spent millions of dollars at this point developing these two-inch ready-to-cook carrots in hopes of appealing to home cooks like Terry, in hopes of displacing some of the frozen carrots that people were using in their cooking. The focus group was asked the critical question, would you cook with these? And so he came back and he says, I've got good news and bad news. I said, well, I don't know, give me the good news first. And he says, they love the carrots. I said, well, if they love the carrots, what can the bad news be? He said, they don't want them for cooking. I said, what do you mean? They want them for, to use them for snacks. They love to just sit, put them in dip and do this and that. I said, Kent, that's great news. He said, it is? He said, oh, you want to cook them. I said, now we're in what I call a snack industry. We're against Fritos, potato chips. And I said, now that's a multi-billion dollar industry we can compete against. And at that point, basically it was kind of the, if you say the old thing of Eureka for me, I said, guys, damn the torpedoes, full speed ahead. And so we built a plant. We retrofitted the plant that we had. The original idea was not then necessarily for snacking. You, you no. actually, you thought for cooking? Yep. <laughs> My wife, going back to the story I told you, yeah. I got to make something where the housewife can cook faster. <laughs> so was the, was the focus group the first indication that you had that this could be gigantic? I don't know if we thought it was gigantic. It was the first time that we obviously didn't know how big it was going to be, but we, we realized that we had something that was feasible. Now, if you've been listening closely, you realize that the night of the ex-wife carrot dish took place in 1985, and baby carrots ultimately hit the market in 1990. So what took five years? Turns out it wasn't so easy to develop this new carrot format. A lot of times we had train wrecks, you know, we thought we had the idea, then it didn't work. <laughs> Example, we, when we finally got to the point we could put them in a bag, the bag would just go like a balloon. And we're kind of looking, what's wrong with this bag? Well, it was the fact that the carrots have to breathe. They're still respirating. And so then we came with the idea, a very simple idea. We put a thumbtack on a, a roller where the bags came down, and the thumbtack put a little hole in them. Solution to the problem. That was probably for three or four years we used that, that concept. But letting the extra air out of the bags was only the beginning of the problems. This guy came and said, David, I want to show you something. I said, yeah. He said, see, this, these carrots have all turned white. And I go, yeah. Look at the ends of them. And he'd cut them with a knife. They weren't white. And so then he put it under a microscope. He said, look at all this roughness on the carrot is what turns them white and causes the oxidation. 
But where it's smooth, that's not there. So there isn't that process. The cut ends of the carrots never turned white, only the sides, which had been polished by the sandpaper machines. We got things to try to do it, you know, knife to cut it very clean and everything else, to kind of peel it just by hand to see what would happen. And they all stayed orange. And so we went back to the company that made these peelers. We went back to them and said, can you put different grit in these? And the grit, again, is like the sandpaper. So we were using like an 80 grit. And he said, yeah, we can go, we can go to a finer grit. So we said, okay, let's go to, let's try a, let's try a, a 50. Well, that didn't work. Let's try a 30. That didn't work. We kept going down on that grit, finally got down to a, a 20. <laughs> and then we said, okay. They'd finally gotten the carrot pieces so smooth, they no longer turned white shortly after being cut. But to this day, Baby carrots do start turning white once they've been exposed to the air a while. Here's how Jeff Huckabee explains it. We've taken and scraped the skin off, and so it's a little bit of an oxidation that happens as it dries out and, you know, temperature a little bit. So the colder they stay and under the ideal conditions, that whiting doesn't go there. You can take this and put it back into water and boom, all of a sudden it rehydrates, the whiting goes away. So the question remained. How do you stop carrots from getting dry in the bag, in shipping, on store shelves? The Eurosics confronted yet another showstopper. They just traded one cosmetic problem for another one. They started you know, getting dry in the bag. Oh. So I said, okay, what do we do about that? You know, Mark Bunch came up with this idea of putting water right as a bag was being sealed and it would shoot a little shot of water in it. And so he built this contraption. These machines go like this. The bag comes down, it drops the carrots, and it goes like this. At this point, he's demonstrating with his hands how the carrots fall vertically into the open bag below them. Each time I do that, I shoot a little bit of water into it before the, the clamp would close to seal it. And all of a sudden, that problem wasn't there. Wow. So it, it, just, it was just a series of figuring out what to do. Finally, after five years of problem solving, the family was ready to start selling to grocery stores. When the Eurasics did the math, it looked like everyone would come out ahead. Yes, consumers would pay much more for baby carrots per pound, but they were getting a lot more carrot. When you buy full-size carrots, you waste a lot of what you bought. They've got to peel it and you got to cut the top off, you can't eat that. You got to cut maybe the tip of the carrot off, you can't use that. It was a lot more throwaway. So you're paying for that. So that's when I started talking with buyers, you know, like Stop and Shop, who was the first one that bought carrots from us. I explained to the buyers that, you know, there's no waste in this. There's no waste in that bag there. Everything can be used. I told them, look at your profit. If you sell a million pounds of carrots a month, at these, you're going to make X amount of dollars. And I had this all figured out and showed them. <laughs> I said, well, try it and see what happens. And so he did and found out that it was, it was true. He made more money with those than he did with the regular carrots. And so they all of a sudden started expanding the shelf space for the cut and peeled and carrots like that. <laughs> Within one year, Americans were buying more than twice as many carrots as before, from six pounds a year per person to more than 10 pounds a year, all because the cut and peeled models were so convenient. Now remember, in the beginning, what made the Eurosics miserable was that they had too many carrots with cosmetic defects, right? But now, with the exploding popularity of baby carrots, they didn't have enough ugly carrots. And also, we didn't have enough product 
for our cut and peeled. So we started actually sending regular carrots, you know, a certain size over to the plant. Then we started using, stealing from Peter to give to Paul, if you will. Now the company was using perfectly straight, long, unblemished carrots for baby carrots. Eventually, they started growing new fields of carrots exclusively for cutting and peeling into baby carrot bags. At that point, it was only a small logical leap to realize maybe they should start breeding special varieties for baby carrots. Here's Jeff Huckabee. We are growing specific varieties for cut and peel. You know, the older full-size carrot had a little bit of a core inside it. So when you would cut it, you could see the core. So a lot of the breeding over the years has been to try to reduce that core just for um, a better palate so that, you know, when you crunched it, you didn't have a hard center or anything. They have a tendency to be a little sweeter. Carrots have come a long way since the bad old days of 1985 when 40% of the crop wound up getting thrown away. These days, carrots are one of the least wasteful crops in the world. Grimway Farms uses every millimeter of every carrot. So we need as many two-inch pieces out of a carrot as we can get. Usually the top piece, because this is where the crown attachment is, is not the most aesthetically pleasing piece. So we usually chop this off, but it's still usable. We're still able to take that. You can still shred it and make uh, shredded carrots for the salad companies, or a lot of it can go into juice. (laughs) Nothing wrong with it. So if you take that piece off, you have one, two, maybe three, sometimes four actual cuts. The longer the carrot, the more cuts that we get. And then there's a different size. It's, it's, it's thicker at the top and then it tapers down to where the smaller one could be what we consider a carotini and it goes into like the little one and two ounce bags for the school lunches. So it's a petite little piece off the end. Caratinis. Yes. Never heard that term in my yeah. life. Yes, that's what we call the little ones. And, and uh, that's the ones that you see mostly in the schools and in the little snack packs. What about all the pulpy stuff that is polished away. From a tonnage standpoint, is is very minimal, and it gets hauled off to cattle feed. The, the dairymen will, will take it, and they'll mix it with their rations and stuff, and it becomes a really good uh, food supplement that they are given to the cows. And how about the greens? Does that go anywhere? We've tried using them as animal feed, but we found that it's better as an organic matter to just turn them back under and put them in the field. How about this idea? You get a bean cutter, you cut them into two-inch segments, you market them as... Morgan, yeah. carrot tops. <laughs> Eurasic and Sons went on to develop packages of carrot curls, carrot sticks, and shredded carrots. At one point, they even tried to develop actual baby carrots, carrots that were still tiny when fully grown. But nothing ever approached the success of the baby carrots. Eventually, the family cashed out. They sold Bunny Love to their rival... Grimway Farms. But the effects of their invention weren't limited to carrots. All the industry saw, wait a minute, these guys have got these carrots, we can do this with lettuce, we can do this with broccoli, we can do this with cauliflower. People started going to salads, you know, broccoli spears. They, you know, I, I walk, I walk into a, a produce section of a store, I kind of smile and see all the, I see all these things, I go, yeah, we, we were the ones that, that created that. You know. So it wasn't just baby carrots that this idea launched. It was a domino effect. Yes, sir. You know, in those days, probably, probably 100% of what was on the produce shelf in the store was vegetables in their original form, so to speak. I mean, everywhere you go, 
you see baby carrots. Do you take pride every time you see that? I don't try to say it's me. You know, it was a team that did this, the Wright brothers. You know, they started out wanting to fly an airplane, they did. Thomas Alva Edison wanted to make a light bulb, he did, you know. So you kind of have that great moment that you feel we did it. It's nice to still walk in a store and see him there and go, all right. Tell my wife, that was me. Man, we did that, you know. <laughs> you just listened to Unsung Science with David Pogue. Don't forget that the entire library of episodes awaits at unsungscience.com, along with written transcripts. My guests today were Jeff Huckabee and David Urosik, whom I thank profusely. This podcast is a joint venture of Simon & Schuster and CBS News, and it's produced by PRX Productions. For Simon & Schuster, the executive producers are Richard Rohrer and Chris Lynch. The PRX production team is Jocelyn Gonzalez, Morgan Flannery, Pedro Rafael Rosado, and Morgan Church. Jesse Nelson composed the Unsung Science theme music. Our fact checker is Christina Ribello, and Olivia Noble fixed the transcripts. For more of my stuff, visit davidpogue.com or follow me on Twitter, at Pogue. That's P-O-G-U-E. We'd love it if you'd like and subscribe to Unsung Science wherever you get your podcasts. And spread the word, will you? If you like Unsung Science, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts.